When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Today we are covering Season 2, Episode 6, Presenting Lorelai Gilmore. The Netflix file for this episode is... Rory surprises everyone by agreeing to make her debut at a bowl... And Lorelai finds herself attracted to a changed man. <laughs> Isn't this just like um, last episode? It, was, it ended off with like, and Rory finds herself attracted to a new boy, boy mm-hmm. or something. Very leading just... descriptions. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> that d- has made me just realize some parallels in the structure of the episode. Mm. From last week. But Something anyways, to yeah, unpack we'll then. <laughs> yeah. But before we go into our detailed analysis, let's do our attempt at really surface level, broad strokes, what happened in the episode in our Talking Fast segment. <laughs> okay. Are you prepared to go first? Theoretically, I should be because I literally just <laughs> finished watching the episode. <laughs> but that I don't know. <laughs> I'll try. That can be... A good thing or a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, ready, go. Rory has agreed to do a de- debutante ball that Emily convinced her to do. So this episode is full of a lot of preparation for that. Getting the clothes, getting her dad there, getting Dean to agree. Um, Christopher surprises Lorelai a lot in this episode about his changed ways. She's kind of attracted him to him by the end. Emily and Richard are fighting, and it's really sad. Um, uh, Jess dresses as Luke, and it's hilarious. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to give you a, a, a notice. I was spinning my wheels, so it's okay. <laughs> that was good, though. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'll hand the mic to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, mean, I think I'm ready. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. So we start off with some fighting between Emily and Richard, and we don't find out what that's about until later on. It ends up that Richard's being phased out, poor guy. Um, and in the same, well, not the same time, but later on, Rory decides that she's going to come out. Uh, interesting wording, and so yeah, she gets some a dress and gloves, and Dean has to wear tails. Christopher comes. He has a Volvo now, and Jess mocks uh luke a lot and it's pretty funny and that was perfect timing (laughs) there was a lot in this episode but i just realized it was mostly like micro scenes you know yeah totally we can slow down and talk about it in depth yes we can as you mentioned this opening cold open like friday night dinner scene features this argument between Richard and Emily that sets up this conflict that they'll have throughout the entire episode 
And the thing I liked about it <laughs> is that I think the writers had fun coming up with all of these names of the different societies that Emily is involved in, um, which include the Hartford Zoological Silent Auction, the Mark Twain House Restoration <laughs> Fund Luncheon, and the Harriet Beecher Stowe Literary Auction. And the reason he's bringing all of these up is because kind of the central premise of this argument is that these are silly social obligations that are kind of beneath mm -hmm. him and he's too busy with his serious businessman stuff. And we can get into that, you know, but I did want to flag that um, my past critique of Emily's sort of social engagements has been that they're very like surface level and about like performance of status and things like that. And I certainly think that is still an element at play here. But, um, like, as silly as these things were, they also are, like, actual... It sounds like places in her community, like Hartford is in the name of one of them. Um, there's, like, the Mark Twain House. There's the Harriet Beecher Stowe Literary Auction. Like, I feel like these are not the random owl on the Chilton Newsletter, <laughs> Chilton newsletter kind of stuff. So I did want to kind of applaud the writers and Emily for having her be more like socially engaged in things that I feel like matter directly to her and the like area around her. Yeah, it's like she's actually in some cases using her affluence for good. Right, which is like what you would hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was really struck by this, like the condescension of Richard in this scene. Seriously. And like, just the inability to grasp how much Emily's social engagements have to do with his job and his standing. Um, and I think we see this, like, in later episodes as well. But half, I mean, their entire world revolves basically around these social engagements. And all of the people that Richard works with are involved in them. He gets clients that way. Yeah. Like... He just is completely devaluing her contribution to the family. Yeah, I completely agree. The fact that he is like devaluing her labor just because it doesn't look like his um, mm -hmm. and downplaying, like you said, how much it actually affects and contributes and makes his own work possible uh, was super frustrating. Uh, but it was like mirrored with some humor as well because <laughs> Emily is like saying she like you sound so pompous right now let me go get a tape recorder <laughs> because you might think I'm too delirious from all the tea I've been drinking because he says like any event that has tea served is like not serious which is such a stupid thing to say and I'm sorry I don't like to use the word stupid but <laughs> anyway she goes to get the tape recorder and she's like holding it up to him like I'm not sure how good the microphone is is it was really it was like a fun way to have this argument at the start especially because kind of the argument that they end with is does not have any of these fun little jokes mm -hmm. peppered throughout and it's just serious then yeah we get to see Lorelai truly enjoying watching her parents fight Rory's kind of worried about being there and overhearing it but um Lorelai is like this is her ideal Friday night dinner to watch her parents fight and not over her. I also really wondered where Emily got that tape recorder. Did she just have that lying around? At first I thought it was an iPhone, but then I remembered what time period this is. So 
it is an odd thing for her to have. It's a very practical object and she actually knew how to use it and where it was and whatnot. So I, yeah, you flag a good thing. <laughs> but we don't actually get to see them have Friday night dinner. Um, we really just end this scene off with Richard and Emily looking, noticing that Lorelai and Rory are there and looking a bit embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, we pick up after the opening credits at Luke's. And I think Jess was in the opening credits, by the way. Oh, yeah. Just small note. Yeah, I, I watched them for once last week, and I did notice that they, like, had updated some of the new characters and stuff. So, that's I like good. It. But this, this scene, there's not, not much of huge importance that happens during it. Rory's worried about a paper being turned in. Um, and she's afraid that Lorelai is coddling her. But another thing also happens in this scene that is my part one of my Lorelai's closet <laughs> um, for the episode. I love that. A two-part. Uh, which is, that's a good way to make the nomination. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, they did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's when um, Jess comes down. Luke had just been complaining about how he was supposed to have help and obviously that was supposed to be jess he comes down and he's wearing a metallica t-shirt which you think lorelei would be into because metallica is one of her favorite bands but the it's one of those like metal hair metal shirts that has like the logo on top and then like a skull or something yeah. and i have a couple <laughs> shirts like that mostly for iron maiden because i love iron maiden um and they are kind of jarring I guess unless you're used to that kind of stuff so I could I mean it's not the most disturbing metal shirt I've seen but (laughs) I just loved that he was wearing this and Luke gets really pissed off and sends it back upstairs to change they have a little debate about the uniform for (laughs) for work and uh, just like he's not in this episode much but he just has some fun scenes yeah it's golden when he is there like he says the shirt brings out his eyes which is pretty funny (laughs) maybe our like our um sarcastic jess segment is like the jess like sass attack or something like that oh yeah i love that i'm gonna write that down just one last thing to mention that i noticed in the scene which like you said isn't super plot heavy but um as rory and lorelei are talking about the paper that she mentioned um the comment rory says is like don't just tell me it's an a to say it's an a like you'll give me a false sense of pride and no one is gonna coddle me in the real world and i thought hmm, some unfortunate <laughs> foreshadowing here that i'm not sure the show realized like at what point in time did their plan become like i don't know Rory's downfall or however you want to describe it yeah. but that just really made me think of the Mitchum scene <laughs> like the yeah. one time she gets critical feedback totally folds and the fleas yell <sighs> but that's you know a discussion for another day <laughs> I feel like I need that on a t-shirt <laughs> yeah. she theoretically understands that she won't be coddled but at this point And we also, like, nothing else really happens. Rory does watch the Jess-Luke exchange, but we don't get any, like, meaningful glances or anything like that. Nothing for the ship here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the next thing that we see is back at the Gilmore's house. 
This episode just jumps around so much. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping I'm not forgetting things. Yeah, this is later that day. I assume Rory left Luke's, went to school, and now is stopping by at Emily and Richard's for a book. But she encounters a (laughs) patio full of lesser Emily types, the socialite group. (laughs) Yeah, they're all like gossiping about the things that have happened at the events that Emily has missed. Talking about her maids. Yeah, I thought about making this an extension of my uh, like earlier critique of Emily's like treatment of like the people she hires because she's like, like they're joking like, oh, another new one. This last one only made it through what one evening and they're like, what do you do to them, Emily? And they're just making so light of something that is highly troubling like I, which I need to remind myself of because I'm, I think I'm quite the Emily fan on this podcast and I can't downplay <laughs> or minimize like her not so great sides either, which is how she treats mm-hmm. the people she hires. Yeah. I actually did make this scene my Friday night dinner. I'm sorry if I took away. No, it's kind of a larger thing and I've mentioned it before, um, the Daughters of the American Revolution. Yes. Um, which is the organization that Emily's friends are in. That's why they're meeting. And I want to preface this by saying I did do a little bit of reading about the DAR before recording this, but I by no means know everything or even a lot about it. (laughs) We're just opening the conversation right now. Yeah. (laughs) So if any listeners have experience with this, I would love to hear about that. That would be awesome. But I want to critique it mostly because the show doesn't yeah. in pretty much any way. And it's a, um organization focused on direct blood lineage to somebody who was involved in the American Revolution. And already that's kind of problematic because anytime you talk about like an organization that's focused on direct blood lineage that means that it's excluding a huge swath of people and it's also uh kind of venerating some sort of blood purity in a way i mean of course they're not looking for like a pure line of all your ancestors are related to american revolution people or something like that but it does tend to end up also kind of aligning with a lot of um white supremacist Mm -hmm. It's like building a narrative of whiteness. Like, look at our long history back to this important historical event, establishing, like, American identity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it also, it takes me to a, um, a debate that's happening in the medievalist community. Surprisingly, we can connect American history with medieval history. Um, and that has to do with the term anglo-saxon which is actually used often in not not so much this show but in describing the the characters of this show as waspy Mm -hmm. which is an acronym for white anglo-saxon protestants um and the term anglo-saxon historically in the past hundred years or so has been used to sick to um denote a specific time period in English history, the 500s to about 1066 after the Norman invasion. Um, But 
it's been called under a lot of speculation recently. Most, for one reason, it wasn't really used in the historical period to denote the people. Um, not until I think it's not until towards the end of the 10th century that it's used at all. And it is mostly it comes from it was popularized by the Victorians and their <laughs> nationalistic movements. All those good old Victorians. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And their, like, use and misuse of medieval historical things to create a national identity that is usually super white and super exclusionary. And so that's that's part of why um, it has a lineage leading towards the DAR, who are also, in many of the articles that I read for today, described as of Anglo-Saxon descent. Um, so Oh, my God. I... <laughs> I have, though, some of the articles did mention that the DAR is trying to be more inclusive. They do accept people with who aren't white and who aren't Christian, although that is the majority of their members. Um, so I guess maybe they're making some progress, but they also are still a, a highly conservative organization yeah um, i mean we saw everyone who was at the debutante ball that rory attended mm-hmm. they're also really like one of the biggest premises is upholding gender mm. differentiation more or less mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah very essential kind of gender norms going on like you have mm-hmm. the escort or you have the debutante it's not like any of the guys were being introduced or yeah. There's no space for anything outside of male or female either, God forbid, in their mm-hmm. society. <laughs> yeah. So, again, this is just a surface reading of the DAR that I'm sure will come up in many other episodes because it's mentioned often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if any listeners do have things they'd want to add, I'd be happy to hear them. But just wanted to raise it since this is our first, like, big DAR <laughs> episode. Yeah. I'm glad that you did that research and connected it to also the conversations currently in medieval studies that was really educational for me and though it might have been our first like intro I still feel like we covered a lot of interesting ground but we'll have to keep it talking about it as we see them more in the show especially when Rory goes to like work for them later on I think yeah that'll be interesting (laughs) Okay, the only other thing to mention about this scene is that Rory somehow finds herself roped into agreeing to come out to society. (laughs) Uh, I thought this was pretty funny. Like, she comes out on the patio after the women have, like, convinced Emily into asking Rory to do this. And she's got her book. She's like, I found it. And then she kind of, like, surveys them. And they're, like, looking at her like she's something to eat. Like, they're, like, sharks and she's their prey or something. And she's just like, yay. <laughs> it's hard to describe. You, anyone listening should go rewatch this scene because it was, like, some good comedy there. And you get the sense that she's about to be um, persuaded into something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very, very she's strong. She's so unknowing, so innocent. <laughs> After the scene, we go uh, go back to Lorelai and Rory's house, and Rory is bursting in, telling Lorelai that she's gonna that she's gonna be coming out. Um, <laughs> I think this is just interesting <laughs> verb verbiage. I guess I feel like Lorelai would have been more <laughs> initially accepting if Lo- if Rory was coming out as 
gay mm. than as coming out to society. Yeah, it's true. I did have my Rory's bookshelf moment in the scene. I guess I'm kind of front loaded mm-hmm. for like the first five minutes. Sometimes it happens that way. <laughs> but my Rory's bookshelf was Lorelai's reaction to when Rory says that she went out onto the patio where the DAR ladies were. Lorelai says that that's like accepting the position of the drummer for Spinal Tap. <laughs> and Spinal Tap is a hair metal band from the 80s, I believe. I don't know much of their music, but they are the subject of a hilarious movie called This is Spinal Tap, which is like a mockumentary, mm. I guess, of rock stars. <laughs> and it's hilarious. But apparently they went through, they're kind of notorious for going through drummers and uh, like not holding a drummer for a long time. So I guess that's what's happening here. Like being convinced to be a drummer of Spinal Tap and then that, I don't know, ruining your career or something. I don't really know all the context for that, but I just love love that movie. Yeah. Or is is it, does it have something to do with like the drummers are like so disposable or replaceable like Mm. I don't I'm not familiar with that but um that's just what I was thinking about with um connecting it to Lorelai's overall argument about uh like presenting yourself to society she's talking about how it treats like all of these young girls like animals going up for bid essentially um they're like announcing that they're marriageable and they're there to be like sized up by eligible young bachelors and the scene ends with Lorelai saying Rory Gilmore is officially open for business again applying <laughs> like that like sexual undertones or just the whole like objectification of them I don't have the most eloquent Friday night dinner critique of all time, but I was basically placing it around these lines of like aligning myself with Lorelai here as she jokes about it, but um, it comes up again later on and kind of throughout the episode, just the running thread of critiquing the idea of presenting yourself to society at all. And like you mentioned, the very like, gross gender roles and norms enforced by this um the logic running behind it um treating like they are so kind of like interchangeable and I feel like it has such old roots and the whole like them getting married as like just to go be married produce like it's for their sexual labor and then be wives be mothers I kind of liked how the show treated this critique though by mostly presenting it through Lorelai and the jokes that she was making throughout because it dealt like a light hand with the topic you know it reminds me so much of Bridgerton (laughs) which is like fully based off of this like courtship coming out debutante society I think in the first season they attempt to be slightly critical of it like what the main characters like says something about how this is all she is made for is to come out and find a husband and that's that. Yeah, and they're literally being like evaluated and valued Mm -hmm. for like their worth is equated with their looks and like 
the way that they comport themselves and these rather superficial things to like in the end if you're worth the most you get to be the diamond you know in Bridgerton uh which is just highly I I mean I, lo- I like the show and the show is certainly exploring like the gender norms of like Regency England I guess but still like <laughs> it's not it's not good and this is continuing in Gilmore <laughs> Girls in the year 2000 something right yeah yeah why there's literally no reason for it anymore if there ever was mm-hmm. <laughs> the the last thing um included in this is that they are getting Christopher involved because the dad presents the debutante hands her off to the escort the supposedly guy who might marry her you know it's very like marriage ceremony vibes too of the little the object being handed off from man to man Ugh, so gross but anyways Lorelai is quite surprised that Christopher is willing to come be a part of this he doesn't protest he just says okay I'm there and I think this is the beginning of what we see this like running thing of Lorelai discovering Christopher is sort of, you know, as the bio phrased it, a changed man. <laughs> Maybe maturing. Maybe he listened to their last conversation when he had proposed and she turned him down. Or I think it's entirely the labor of Miss Sherry. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> uh, based on a line at the end of the episode. And Rory, strangely, is super excited about coming out and, of course, Christopher coming. So that's going to be the big premise of the episode, I suppose, mm-hmm. is preparation for this. Um, yeah, it reminded me a lot of Rory being excited to go golf, to go to the country club, mm-hmm. and Lorelai's, like, disbelief at that. And Lorelai at one point says, like, I'm, I ran away from all these things, and I thought you'd be running with me. And Rory is kind of like, well, this isn't a big deal to me, but it is a big deal to Emily. So why wouldn't I do it? And you see they're like, mm-hmm. their sensibilities are quite different about these things. I think it's such a different thing to do that for a grandparent versus a parent. Yeah. <laughs> like when it's your parents, it just feels like there's so much more pressure. But grandparents, it's easier to just do something to please them. But the next scene we come up with is later vaguely sometime in the future and and lane and dean are over they're watching i think neil young be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame i think that was what it was yeah because i believe he's wearing a tux it's part of rory trying to convince dean like it's cool to wear a tux you don't have to like hate your life when you're escorting (laughs) me at this thing (laughs) I kind of wish we had gotten the scene when Rory asked him to come. But I guess it might have been similar to when she asked him to go to the dance last season. Just, like, smile at him. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, once again, Dean is being, like, the epitome of a good sport in this episode. But that's, like, the extent of it, mm-hmm. I guess. Like, he's being a good sport, but he's being grumpy about it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, you can just have like poke fun at this you know I I feel like I I would also be grumpy if I was asked to do something like this but maybe I'm just trying to be nice to Dean because I know we're gonna be ditching him well we already have (laughs) I mean we basically did from the beginning you know but I just know what's in store for him this season so (laughs) 
he's good sport that's what i'll say i'm being kind (laughs) that's true yeah you're right (laughs) um while they're watching this lorelei is going back and forth talking with emily on the phone we get to hear about some hilarious things like talking about the gloves and all sorts of weird things that rory has to acquire for this (laughs) um but then christopher shows up and this is the big moment for the scene he drives up in a Volvo, and wow, cars really look a lot different than they did in the early 2000s, because that car looks ancient to me now. I know. A f- weird fun fact is that I always think of Edward Cullen when I hear about Volvos, because oh, yeah. Stephanie Meyer was so specific about how he drove a Volvo, and I, in my head as like a young kid, I thought it was like a cool car, because I was team Edward, and I thought he was so cool and but now looking at chris's car i'm like oh this is just a responsible boring car like <laughs> mm-hmm. they have like the highest safety ratings or something mm-hmm. which in the end does sound like what edward would drive but at the mm-hmm. time when i was reading the first book i still thought he was like this like sexy mysterious guy you know <laughs> as opposed to jacob with his motorcycles mm-hmm. yeah and chris like the whole he shows up It's very parallel to his entrance, which was that really fun, like, appearance on the Mm -hmm. motorcycle where you're like, who is this? And it's him. And now you're like, who is this? A changed person who shows up in a Volvo and who brought Rory the new edition of the Compact Oxford Dictionary, which I thought was a sweet moment. He even had a little magnifying glass for her, supposedly because I'm guessing the print is really tiny. I haven't, I don't think I've actually seen a physical copy of the OED. I don't think I have either. But Lorelai teases him quite a lot about having this car. She's, again, kind of confounded that he, A, actually showed up and that he didn't show up on his motorcycle. He seems to kind of have his life together. Weirdly, he has a job. (laughs) Um... He does show off the sound system in the car, and that seems to be one of the selling points for yeah. it, which I can understand. Like, That's a big a deal. part of the old Christopher is still going strong. <laughs> Lorelai is starting to get a bit of a twinkle in her <laughs> eye, <laughs> looking at him. Like, I don't. Maybe it's like the, um, like attraction to novelty or something. Like, what is this new thing? I, I know this person so well, but he seems so different. What is that? Yeah, I was, we can talk about it more as it seems like the flirtation and feelings develop more throughout the episode. But part of me was wondering, like, why is Lorelai so into him all of a sudden? Uh, we get another sort of, like, in-between scene again at a strange time, like, maybe later that day as everyone just continues to, like, prepare for the coming out. <laughs> and Emily and Lorelai have been shopping together. They bought 12 pairs of pantyhose for some god-known reason. <laughs> uh, but really, this is also displaying more of the developing argument between Emily and Richard which just makes me sad, like, to talk about. Mm-hmm. I just, I hate, it's like when my own parents are fighting. You just want to be like, stop. <laughs> but um, I continue to really not appreciate Richard's attitude. In this scene, he is, like, making a big deal about going to pick up his tux the next day. 
Uh, he's being really rude to Emily and he says like I'm not going to qualify my time with you because she's like well why can't you find the time to go get the tux and he's once again just asking acting like his time and his work is so much more superior to hers and I get that he's annoyed that she like planned this debutante thing that she says is for Rory but really it's for her but like he I just find it so ironic that he says I'm not going to qualify my time like the way I spend my time with you when that's like exactly what he's doing to her but saying like I'm qualifying your time and it I'm viewing it as less important than mine and I don't like that I don't like it at all yeah. <laughs> he's being so petulant yeah it and it's all for Rory like you'd think if anybody could get him to be a good sport it would be doing something for his beloved granddaughter I, yeah and Ro- and Lorelai points that out later on like how can he not be here why is he late why is he not excited for this is like angel granddaughter I think is a sign that mm-hmm. something really is going on with him because it's like yeah he would totally show up for Rory after this we are back into another micro scene back in Stars Hollow and I loved this scene we're at Miss Patty's and Dean and Rory are learning how to waltz Mm -hmm. I guess um I don't know dances so (laughs) but Dean is being super grumpy and they're both uh pretty terrible at it Miss Patty's being her usual magnanimous self uh supposedly he she had stolen Dean to demonstrate a little bit earlier (laughs) which is Weird, but in line with Miss mm-hmm. Patty. <laughs> Around that time is my Rory's bookshelf nomination uh, because Rory explains like Miss Patty had her sit in the corner because she was worried Dean was going to get hurt, <laughs> which is like funny because it like one, I imagine Miss Patty was like, you know, flirting with Dean, of course, like she flirts with everyone, but also that Rory's a bad dancer, which is pretty humorous. Like a lot of people are. I It's cool. But um, Lorelai's response to this is that nobody puts baby in a corner, uh, which I feel like is a reference everyone loves to. It's just such a, like a, hmm, what's the word? Um, Ubiquitous? Is that the word for when it like appears everywhere? Yeah, a ubiquitous Mm -hmm. reference. Uh, But I love Dirty Dancing, the movie. Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, mm-hmm. they're learning how to dance. She, Jennifer Grey, like baby, is not a natural dancer at first, but she learns by the end of the movie. I'm, I don't, I probably don't need to say more, but I just really enjoy that movie. So I like the line, the reference. It's very relevant here, actually. I also love that movie. <laughs> and the way that Lorelai said it, like she was kind of cracking up as she said it. It was pretty mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> uh, the scene also, like, Lorelai and Chris show off their dancing skills. I was like, how do they actually know this dance? They seamlessly, like, go through a whole extravagant, like, ballroom kind of dance, which supposedly they both remember from other uh, debutante balls or something like that. But um, I don't know. They're really good dancers, and you get their whole chemistry flirtation thing is like developing from the earlier scenes we saw. I also noticed that they're in matching outfits. <laughs> Lorelai's wearing like a really dark, I don't know, burgundy kind of dress, and Christopher's a sweater of the same color. <laughs> so that was strategic. 
We interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor. Miss Patty is at it again. She's holding personal dance lessons for any and all couples or throuples who need to learn how to waltz or do a fan dance. Most of all, Miss Patty is here to help you come out. As the Grand Marshal of Stars Hollow's Pride Parade, she has all of the enthusiasm, all of the rainbows, all of the pride that you need. We all know Miss Patty is all about owning your sexuality, and she's prepared to help you learn the dance that will help you express it. She knows the wobble, the waltz, numerous TikTok dances, tap dancing, ballet, interpretive dance, modern dance, jazz, and anything you else you can think of. Whatever dance helps you come out, she's there to teach it. Oh, wait. The other coming out? Sorry, our mistake. Sure, Miss Patty can help with that too. But back to the fun, gender-affirming stuff. Mention talking fast to Miss Patty and she'll throw in a pride flag of your choice for the upcoming Stars Hollow Pride Parade. Here at Talking Fast, we support all of our LGBTQIA listeners and know how much we all love pride paraphernalia. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. They, like, leave Miss Patty's, and um, Christopher flirts with Miss Patty on the way out, which I thought was pretty cute. He says, like, bye, Patty, really closely to her, and she's like, the way you toy with me. Uh, but, you know, they walk about town for a while. They sit on a bench, catch up a bit more. Uh, Christopher explains that he, like, likes the stability of his new job. And Lorelai is both, like, confused but also admiring of this. Um, at one point, Christopher mentions that he had asked Luke for a chai latte. And I wish that was a scene that had been included in the show yeah. <laughs> because I can picture that and Luke's face when someone asks him to make a chai latte, especially the fact that it's like Christopher of all people, I thought was pretty uh, humorous to me. Yeah, that's my Stars Hollow. Oh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Mostly just because it, like, you would think that Stars Hollow would be a place that would have like all those autumnal drinks and stuff. And I bet taylor's ice cream shop does in the fall but it doesn't exist you also yet, could never yeah you can never expect luke to have autumnal stuff and that's just basic stars hollow knowledge <laughs> so i love that scene I, yeah i can't imagine what that would have tasted like Ooh, anyways <laughs> <laughs> i liked their conversation here i thought it was interesting to see like just how much Christopher has changed because when we saw him last Lorelai's whole critique of him was that he doesn't have any stability he doesn't like know what it takes to be in a relationship or to you know um fulfill another person's needs because he can't even take care of himself mm -hmm. and here he really is it also just seems like classic I'm now in my early to mid 30s man kind of thing <laughs> like I did my 20s I went crazy especially if you had a lot of money and didn't have to worry about that kind of stuff and now 
now I'm settling down, you know. <laughs> so he seemed, it seemed just kind of normal to me, but, and Lorelai's intrigued again by this. Moving forward, we arrive to the eve of the debutante ball the night before, and this scene is again another short little bit about Lorelai continuing to tease Rory. Christopher is helping Dean with his bow tie. Um, then when, you know, Rory goes to bed, Dean leaves. Lorelai shares with Christopher how she witnessed Emily and Richard, like, openly, openly fighting. How weird it is that Richard isn't excited about this event that's based for his granddaughter. Um, so really just setting the scene a bit more and <laughs> uh, foreshadowing what will, like, unfold at the debutante ball itself i'm just realizing how much like filler is in this episode yeah <laughs> so many so many times we've just been like and here's another little scene of lorelei teasing rory <laughs> but there's actually a lot packed into what's coming next at the debutante ball we get um a lot about like rory there and the grandparents lorelei and christopher so i think we're arriving at the meat of the episode now or the beyond beef if you're a vegetarian <laughs> sorry that was such a dumb joke <laughs> uh, but we so we show up next at the ball and rory gets sent upstairs to get ready um with all the other debutantes she arrived late I, apparently the kind of yeah. guide says that all the lighted mirrors went to the girls who got there before dawn <laughs> Which is a pretty Ridiculous. good, a pretty good joke. Uh, I wanted to take a moment to um, do. The, actually, you gave me this idea because I was like, I decided I was gonna give my Lorelai's closet in the moment. You know, when it felt right, I would decide between Lorelai's dress or Rory's dress. But I'm gonna do a two-part nomination myself here for both of the dresses that they wear to the debutante ball. Um, but I think the real winner is Lorelai's because you expect Rory to be wearing a fancy dress, right? But Lorelai shows up in this, like, gorgeous, it's like a deep navy blue gown. Like, you almost can't tell if it's black or blue. And it does have some, like, black details. It's sleeveless. Um, it kind of has these, like, buckles on the side of the bodice. That's a nice detail. And she's wearing it with, like, a really sleek ponytail. And she just looks fantastic. Um... Uh, and Rory, I think, has, like, the best dress of any of the other debutantes. Um, it's got this, like, nice bodice with really pretty detailing. It's kind of hard to describe. It's not exactly, like, lace, but it's kind of flowery. I'm not sure. Uh, but a rather, like, poofy skirt, of course. Like, where would you be without the poofy skirt here? Um, and it kind of reminded me of the dress that Anne Hathaway wears in Ella Enchanted, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that yeah. movie. Later on, she adds a jean jacket, which I felt like really completes the look. Um, <laughs> so those are my two nominations. I also loved Lorelai's dress, but I did notice something that kind of ruined her look for me. It was her lip gloss choice. I don't know if you noticed. It was like, I couldn't really tell whether it was a just a completely nude lip gloss color or if it was like slightly frosted pink. I think it was frosted pink. <laughs> but it just made her lips kind of look 
like washed mm-hmm. out or she like <laughs> ate something gloopy. with frosting and they're just like covered. yeah <laughs> yeah and that was such a trend at that time also mm-hmm. but like if she had just had like a nude mauve lip or something that outfit like all together with that would have been like amazing mm-hmm. or like a dark but the, that lip gloss like burgundy or something like a really dark yeah. red something that's a bit more like yeah dark and dramatic because that was the look of the dress the look of the dress was not frosted pink <laughs> lips yeah um after so after they arrive rory ends up chatting with one of the other debutantes i don't remember her name libby did you libby okay uh she seems a little bit uh intense <laughs> shall we say that's a good word to describe her <laughs> I wrote stressed. She's like trying. <laughs> but intense yeah. is really good. <laughs> She's trying to decide between two different lip colors, like two different reds, an orangey mm-hmm. red or a bluey red. And I feel like the show wants us to kind of mock that and be like, oh, you know, she can't decide. But just seconds ago, we just said how Lorelai's lipstick choice ruined her whole look. So this it's is true. important, even if the show is trying to tell us it's a little superficial right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. I think we do get a little bit of mocking mm-hmm. worthy stuff with her. She she's mean to the other girls in like such a backhanded way also. Like she's talking about another girl who got um an injury and then another person who threw up at one point. But we find out that she's gone through I think five different debutante balls. Yeah. And she really is hoping that this time her escort will be the guy that she marries because supposedly your escort ends up being your husband <laughs> later down the line for these 16-year-old girls. Right. I feel like she's a victim of, like, the narrative that she's been fed. Like, you mm-hmm. can meet eligible people outside of these balls. Like, why do they have to be your escort to be a promising match for you? And clearly if this is your fifth one – there's no promise entailed of like that they'll commit to you after. It was so strange, but she's definitely this like over the top kind of satirized character. Um, she's drinking like Midori sours from a flask, which is another. She's kind of like seeing the world. She's sort of this like worldly guide for Rory of like the debutante balls. Like she's just drinking to get through it at this point, and like I don't know. It's it was comical, but also I couldn't decide. With the st- she was a rather stereotypical figure, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. it serves the narrative to have a bit of like a flat character, you know, to do what you will with them to like be like, let's have some commentary here on debutante balls and like the kinds of girls they attract or the kinds of girls they form. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Libby <laughs> in the end. Yeah. We have critiqued like the the way that they portray like Madeline and Yeah, Louise, that's kind of what I was thinking. I'm like, is it that it's kind of that dynamic once again of Rory is complicated and every other girl she encounters is like shallow, you know? I think that's what my problem ends up being because it portrays Rory as this like super special girl and that anyone else 
who is not that like anyone else who likes lipstick is basically just like a worthless stereotype you know in the show like when that's not the case in real life like so yeah yeah. (laughs) I just watched a great video essay about the not the other girl trope or not like other girls which is like the trope Um, behind the show yeah exactly like all other girls are (laughs) yeah vapid and shallow and not as smart as rory but rory is different Mm -hmm. she's the one that we should all want to be like and i admire Um, so much of rory's qualities but you know that's mm -hmm. not to say less about other qualities of people as well (laughs) yeah you can like makeup you can worry about your lip color choice and read Mm -hmm. books you can do both Mm -hmm. (laughs) But anyways, um, downstairs, Lorelai is having a boring time talking with all the other mothers, I suppose. And Christopher comes and rescues her. They have another little kind of old friend, almost flirtation type of conversation over the bar. Yeah, drinking martinis, being really nostalgic yeah. about their past. <laughs> yeah, thinking about the how... Um, it would have been them at one point. I guess it sounds like Christopher was the escort for many girls. Yeah. <laughs> but Lorelai never had her coming out ball, her debutante ball, her whatever this is, um, because she was pregnant, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. We also find out at this point that uh, Richard and Emily are late and that they arrive separately, which is the big red flag. Yeah. So Emily is there and then... Lorelai asks her where Richard is and she's like I'm not his keeper and stuff like that and then he shows up and is grumpy I know they seem like such a unit so the fact that they seem so fractured is so disconcerting to me at this point and clearly to Lorelai too she's suspecting there's something deep going on here yeah Chris or Richard again is just like so so petulant this entire Mm -hmm. time just like picking at everything Emily says um and Christopher has to go up to start escorting Rory I guess they're lining up so we just kind of get the fight of Richard and Emily during this um which I think comes down to well Obviously, Richard is upset about what's happening at his job, and he thinks that Emily should understand. He thinks that he's told Emily what's happening, Mm -hmm. and that, therefore, she should fully understand. But as we find out, that hasn't really happened. Emily doesn't understand what's happening. Um, And Richard is being phased out, Mm -hmm. as he puts it, which is something he apparently has done to many other people. And understandably, that's why he's upset about things. And and importantly, like, we, the viewer, haven't heard this explanation about his job causing him stress either, which I think helps give us, like, the impression that Emily shares, too, of, like, we, she apparently knew about it a bit, but not realizing how much it's been affecting him. So everyone in this moment is kind of just, like, what's really going on with Richard and his job and, like, I don't know. What I feel like it boils down to is that, like, 
his whole identity and like sense of self and his self-confidence is wrapped up in his work, right? So he feels that crumbling around him. He's currently in crisis himself, not a midlife crisis really because he's older than that, but like the crisis once you're reaching a certain age and you start to be viewed as like less of a person being phased out. I feel like Grace and Frankie, we discussed briefly before, like explores that theme really well of like, older people just being treated as less than because they're just like infantilized by the younger people around them things like that um so I feel like he's going through something quite serious that we're keyed into here uh but also balanced with the fact that like Emily is also trying to grasp the things that give her her sense of self like he's just trying to take her down with him like everything about what gives her a sense of like existence and identity are all of these like social engagements and their relationship together as a partner as partners and she's doing this whole thing for Rory and it is for her of course but it's also like for the family I don't know it it is a really interesting conflict in that I don't feel like it's simple that one is right and the other is wrong and that as a result of both of their individual like struggles for identity, they're like really lashing out at each other in um, harsh ways. Yeah, we don't really get very much of a conclusion to their fight. I feel like it's kind of an ongoing thing that they're going to have to work out. Emily does kind of ask, she asks, so what? Like there are other things we can do and that does not seem to be the thing that Richard wants to hear at this moment, which is understandable. I mean, as you said, this is his identity, so you can't just, just like that, shed an identity and take on something new. It takes a long time. So I'm interested to see what is happening in the next few episodes. Like, where does this go from here? Um, Because, yeah, we just don't get much of a conclusion for I them. didn't remember they had like strife in their relationship this early on because I remember when they are temporarily separated but I think that's as late as like season five right so I know that's not this so I feel like it must resolve quicker um because I don't remember them being apart for only you know I only remember them being apart later on So I hope they do work through it and they don't just like gloss over things because there are some serious, serious uh, things to address here. (laughs) But this argument has also ruined the coming out uh, ball for mostly for Emily because Rory is still going through the motions. She's still coming down the stairs being handed off to Dean. But Emily... She comes back in to see it, but she's already in a terrible mood and um, is just grumpy. She even says to Lorelai, that should have been you up there, Um, which is just, we've said this of Emily before, when she feels frustration or anger, she lashes out at other people kind of irrationally. And this is a great example of that because... Lorelai is just a bystander and she is being taken down by Emily just because Emily is frustrated about something else. Yeah, I feel like um, something that had interested me about this episode is that we see the initial fight between 
Richard and Emily in which she's not taking seriously all of like the things she fills her time with and then after that we see her friends and her and they bring up the idea about Rory coming out at this ball they like encourage her like she'd be the prettiest this would be your big success it would be a big hit for you and she like starts to smile and is convinced by this and I just feel like she was using this as a like a boost to like I don't it wasn't her idea. Like, we might think of Emily like, oh, it was her idea. She really wanted to convince Rory into this. And she does in the end, but, like, somebody else gave her the idea, and I feel like it was at a moment when she was kind of, like, in a spot of, like, weakness or vulnerability of, like, Richard constantly, you know. So I I just felt it was very interesting that in this episode, both Richard and Emily are just pursuing sources of, like, something to just make them feel better to like affirm their place in the world (laughs) and then when it all comes crashing down uh, Emily like senses something that was running underneath all of that even deeper which is still that like initial source of like wanting to relive something she didn't get to have with Lorelai either and what that would have meant to her and all of that wrapped up in just a little episode of tv (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty intense and it is amazing how much has happened just happens in this like mm-hmm. 10 minutes of the ball yeah. or the dance. I don't even know what to that, call it. Like this. fan the dance. Cotillion. They really like fluffy yeah. fans. It was bizarre. Yeah, like not actual functioning fans. Something I wanted to point out since um, I feel like you noticed good continuity things last episode. I wanted to point out uh, that this fight is like interrupted by Rory um and they're all on like the ground level fighting and she kind of comes around a corner and is like I'm next and then in like a second because she's next as she said she's coming down this huge grand staircase from across the room the second floor like there's no way that she came like they were lined up to go out like she wouldn't have left the line you're telling me like they let her leave the line no and then how would she get back up in time? She would have been, like, right behind the person who's walking down. Like, no way. It could have just been someone else be like, hey, your granddaughter's about to go. But they didn't do that. And I thought that was a little silly. <laughs> and is it implying that Rory could hear the I fight feel like it is. all the way up there? Because then the entire ballroom would have heard <laughs> And in theory, then she would have had to, like, <laughs> book it back up. Yeah, be breathing really hard she could have sent christopher yeah. like he was there with her or you know anything mm-hmm. but small little detail pants on <laughs> yeah yeah that was a bit of a continuity error as we like mm-hmm. to say <laughs> but the cotillion thing debutante ball whatever it is ends and uh rory is now part of society <laughs> hooray she is of marriageable age <laughs> And we're back at Stars Hollow. Um, Dean just wants to get out of his tux, so he departs. And Christopher says he can't go in and have a burger with Lorelai and Rory. So Rory goes in to order, and then Lorelai and Christopher walk off to have a little chat. Um, Lorelai starts us off by saying that she was really happy that Christopher came and it meant a lot and then 
she starts to get a little bit flirty by mentioning Boston is nearby, he should come over more often, and you know, he maybe should just stay the weekend. And again, Lorelai's proposing this. Um, It would, I'm sure, be great for Rory to see her father more often. But Lorelai is proposing this more as a booty call (laughs) type of arrangement without considering the fact that this is Rory's father and there will be emotional stakes. (laughs) Again, Lorelai just doesn't consider that. But, I mean, thankfully, Christopher deflects after they've kissed, which I thought was a bit strange. But it wasn't necessarily a sexy kiss. It was just like a... yeah. I don't like a couple things. One is that like they had kind of done these like greeting or goodnight kisses that were sort of like on the cheek or like brief pecks throughout the episode. But this one definitely felt like more like a seductive sort of kiss that she gave him to be like setting the mood and whatnot or communicating how she her like evolving feelings, her like attraction to him. And I mean, to the point about like Lorelai not thinking about Rory in this moment, I do think is true, and it has been frustrating. But I also, I don't know, I guess to just take her side slightly, she can always think about Rory, you know? Like, she, I, that is, like, one of the things about Lorelai that is so interesting is that she is, like, a very romantic like desirable person who seeks out things without always thinking them through like she's not thinking about Rory but she's also not thinking about like the implications of what if they did start to have sex again or like think she's not thinking about Luke she's not thinking about Max here like I yeah I feel like there's a lot that she's not thinking about and it makes her very complex modern woman and all but if like I'd be 100% with you if they did start hooking up again and it became a thing and then the way that she like deals with it with Rory I think is where a lot of my qualms come up at a certain point too like once it's yeah I don't know so I agree but like with a caveat of like mumblings (laughs) (laughs) that makes Mm -hmm. sense (laughs) we want Lorelai to be able to experience her life Mm -hmm. whatever she wants yeah without without too much restraint yeah, maybe i'm just coming from a place of like reading uh like 19th and 20th century literature where uh as like gender norms evolve and women did experience more freedom and whatnot um sometimes like the call would be like think of the children you know like um <laughs> which is like said by other like domestic like the ideal domestic characters in those novels are trying to tell like the the new women to like just think of the children don't go off and do your own like awakened life thing and so I think there's like completely the balance here of like think of Rory but also think of yourself too and the show is so much about like navigating that for Lorelai as a mother you know that's true yeah the whole premise yes, of the show indeed it is clearly distilled <laughs> Nice. <laughs> um, but Christopher, yeah, as I said, he deflects. Um, he says he really does need to get back to Boston 
for work and then he also says and for someone mm-hmm. um interesting he hasn't mentioned <laughs> this girlfriend that he's living with until this point <laughs> um which Lorelai does point out like it is kind of a you'd think that it would be something that you would tell at least Rory well I guess he has told Rory but uh Lorelai hasn't mm-hmm. heard Kind of the same way that she hadn't told him about being engaged mm-hmm, to Max, but, true. like, Rory told him. So their communication is, like, not always stellar, it seems. But yeah. <laughs> he says um, that he's, like, living with Sherry, and she's the one who got him to, like, shape up, basically, like, saying she he would lose her if he didn't get it together, which I feel like uh, up until this point in the episode... I was, like, fairly impressed with him and all of the changes he had made. And this kind of takes part of that away for me. Like, the fact that he didn't do that on his own, it was, like, because of a woman. And, like, he relied on her labor and her encouragement to get him to evolve. And it's just so annoying. And, like, that's what he was basically asking for from Lorelai. But she didn't really engage with that. She's like, no, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to be the person that is there to, like, mother you and get you to grow up like that's not her role and unfortunately sherry got yoked into doing that um and her life will be forever changed by it as we'll see (laughs) yeah i am just like thinking of what happens by the end of this season it sets up so Um, much of that it really did i felt like is that episode like right next to this one or something but of course it's like the finale that it really comes to a head yeah but it set it up mm-hmm. early. Build they were thinking up. ahead. Yeah. We do finally see the troubadour <laughs> giving his little lalas. Mm-hmm. Really like setting the mood for Lorelai's kind of like mm-hmm. melancholy state after this. Like, because she was clearly trying to initiate something with him. And she's like, okay. You know, she backs off quickly. But, you know, she had temporarily been envisioning them together in a certain way. And now it's like struck down immediately. So. She's a little feeling maybe blue about this, but she cheers up when she goes to, like, talk to Rory's and Luke's. Rory is feeling bad about Emily, so they have a little bit of a conversation about that. But then we get the second part of my Lorelai's Closet moment, which is... Oh, this gives me... This was my uh, Stars Hollow moment as well. But I'll let let you take it away and I'll chime in afterward. So Jess comes down. He reappears as Lorelai and Rory are talking to Luke. Lorelai kind of nods towards him so that Luke turns around. (laughs) And lo and behold, Jess is wearing a plaid shirt and a backwards baseball hat looking exactly like Luke. And Luke, of course, is angry about it but then so this is gonna be my jess sass attack Mm. moment (laughs) when he moves the pepper jar with his pinky out (laughs) in a really like staccato movement and that sends luke over the edge (laughs) and luke um, sends him up to change again and (laughs) it's just Mm -hmm. great (laughs) yeah i loved this i was trying to really i was really torn between nominating it for like um, a Lorelai's Closet or Stars Hollow or even a gazebo moment. Like, it was really up there for me in terms of, like, the highlights mm-hmm. of the episode. 
And I chose Stars Hollow because I feel like it um, indicates, like, the whole Lucas Setra character in the town. He dresses a certain way, he acts a certain way, and just hasn't been there for that long, yet he's already keyed into this, and he, like, um, is imitating him, and it was hilarious. Um, I loved it. He's like, I thought it was the uniform. And <laughs> it's so cheeky, like, playing on the whole appropriate work attire to just like model after Luke so closely and Luke's reaction is also humorous to me he's like I'm just gonna ignore this I'll pretend you don't exist it doesn't bother me at all and then after Jess has done like the funny movement that you described Luke is like demands he goes and change and it's just really funny and it sets up their evolving relationship together too which is still um tense at this point but like it's setting up their dynamic that will be more um this will always kind of be part of their dynamic but it will be friendlier later on you know (laughs) yeah they are so similar exactly they even look kind of similar just with like their hair color Mm -hmm. and stuff but like they have similar ways of talking similar tones all which is that. interesting because it seems like they've never really met and that Liz doesn't mm-hmm. really look that much like Luke either I feel like they cast yeah. Jess to be his nephew and then didn't really <laughs> I don't know think through that when they're casting Liz I guess well we see his dad yeah. later <laughs> that's true I, I feel like maybe but he doesn't look anything more like yeah. him we do end this scene with Lorelai having kind of uh an interesting recognition she says to Lori. now you're getting what i do (laughs) uh, that she's really lucky to have someone to talk to about things um kind of thinking about how emily doesn't or maybe doesn't have like a close friend to talk to about relationship problems like who can she talk to when richard is the one that she's having conflict with you know yeah, I, I thought that was a great thing mm-hmm. for Lorelai to notice yeah. about her mom. Yeah. No, I think it was a good realization. And this was also my gazebo moment. I can tell you're about to say it. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so this leads us into our gazebo <laughs> moments, which is a great scene back at the Gilmore's house. We come in and... Um, Emily is cutting flowers in the garden. She's got this awesome outfit that's like um, a straw hat and like khaki pants and a tucked in. I don't know. She just looked Mm -hmm. awesome. She looked kind of like a adventurer. Yeah. To me, this was like the waspy woman who gardens, you know, like the actual flowers have been planted for her, but she's here to do a couple touch ups, you know, like. Which is not to say, you know, I just think it was funny. She looked pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah. And Lorelai has shown up uh, because she had some free time before her business class. And she just wants to hang. Um, They have some funny banter about what this means. Yeah, just hang. (laughs) And then, yeah. And then we pan out of the episode with Lorelai just sitting there in silence next to Emily cutting her flowers and just like a really nice moment of just like we had Emily recently recognize um how she has effects on Lorelai now Lorelai's like I noticed this thing about my Mm -hmm. mom and I'm just gonna go and be there for her 
and it was really nice. Yeah, I picked it for the same reasons. I just think it is so well done. The like what is not said says so much. Like, like she has mm-hmm. that the line she says to Rory that you pointed out. Um, and we don't get like a whole oh, I should go check up on my mom because she doesn't have this person. Like, it's not explained. It's not said out loud. But the fact that she shows up with this, like, extra time between work and business school, which she's never done before. But, like, just to compare it so much from the start of the season where you could barely get her to go to a Friday night dinner, you know? It was all obligation for her. But now she's, like, out of her own free will choosing to go. And then is being there for um, Emily. And, like, sure, sitting next to her and gardening, like, just hanging, like, that's not going to cause them to have this, like, Lorelai and Rory dynamic or relationship or support. But, like, the fact that she's there and just starting something as small as it is is just so sweet. And I loved that, like, that they just sit there in silence, really, like, coexisting and is kind of just extending the, like, I'm here if you need me. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was really beautiful. Yeah. We'll see how long it lasts <laughs> between them. Well, that seems so <laughs> foreboding. <laughs> Can't we have dun, this dun. one moment? <laughs> but that's the end of the episode. It was quite a, quite a weird episode, to be mm-hmm. honest. <laughs> a lot happened. A lot didn't happen. We still haven't seen Jess or Dean interact together. I mean, yeah. Jess and Dean mm. haven't interacted together. Yeah. We'll get More to, to come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, don't forget to um, subscribe to us, leave us reviews, and follow us on Instagram at Talking Fast Podcast. Mm-hmm. We're collecting gazebo moments, so send us your favorite moments from any episodes of season two to TalkingFastPodcast at gmail.com. And... That's it for this episode, I believe. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Till next time.